0: The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its host, or sponsors. If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com. For more information, you can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder in my family. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Thank you for joining me for episode 55 of The Murder of My Family. I'm your host, Mike Morford. In this episode, we'll be exploring the case of Samuel Charles Evans, a 25-year-old taxi driver who was murdered in 1974 during a robbery. What did his killer net in the process? A measly $6. We'll jump into this case after some quick housekeeping. Independent podcasts like this one depend on word of mouth to bring in new listeners. So if you find that you enjoy this podcast, Please take a minute to rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to introduce a friend to the podcast and invite them to listen. With your help, the show can continue to grow and reach a new audience. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderofmyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at MurderMyFam or by searching for The Murder My Family Podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support this show through a Patreon donation, it's always appreciated. And you can do so by visiting patreon.com. Forward slash the murder of my family. Benefits of supporting the show on Patreon include early access to ad-free episodes of the show, plus bonus content not heard in regular episodes. Support may also include thank you cards, stickers, and more. If you prefer to, you can also support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me/forward slash the murder of my family. In each episode, I'll give shout-outs to any new supporters. And thank you to all the supporters that generously donate to help keep the show growing and improving. Lately, you've heard me talk about CrimeCon, the true crime convention that's going on in Orlando this May. And it's hard to believe that we're 90 days away from it. I've heard from some of you that you're thinking of going, and I'm excited to see you there, when I'm on Podcast Row supporting my podcast. If you think you want to go and you need to buy a badge, visit CrimeCon.com to register and use my promo code, which is Criminology2020, to save yourself 10% on a standard badge. One last note, please consider supporting any of the sponsors that you hear on The Murder, of My Family, the way that those sponsors support the show. It's with our sponsor's support that this show can go on and continue to provide a platform to share these stories with you in every episode. Thank you, and now on with the show. Samuel Charles Evans was born on November 22, 1948, in Coldwater, Michigan, to Thomas and Joan Evans. He was the oldest of three children and the only son, and Charles was very close with his sisters, especially his sister Susie. Sam was named after his grandfather, Samuel Burts Delight, who himself was murdered in 1962. Sam was close to his grandfather and wore his grandfather's ring after his death. Sam was highly intelligent with a sharp sense of humor and a great personality. He loved all things science, including biology and geology. But one thing he was obsessed with was fish. He loved taking care of and raising fish. At the time of his murder, he had an entire room filled with fish tanks with a variety of fish in them. Perhaps to add a little humor, he would even order his pizza with anchovies on it. But he took his hobby seriously, and he attended several fish shows and won several trophies for the fish he raised. Sam was a well-rounded person. He was a seasoned public speaker by the time he was 18 years old. He loved to play drums and was a good amateur photographer. Sam owned two cars, a blue Carmen Ghia that he named Leroy, and a white Dodge station wagon he called Moby Dick. After hearing all this, you can probably put together that Sam didn't take himself too seriously. His sense of humor is one of the things that his sister Susie loved about him. In June 1974, when Sam was 25 years old, he was going through a little bit of a rough patch. He was married, but he was in the middle of going through a divorce. But Sam was determined not to let the divorce keep him down, and he was busy planning his future. He got a job as a taxi cab driver for Crescent Cab Company to help him pay for classes at Harbor College in Los Angeles, where he made the Dean's List. Sam had previously driven a cab as well, driven a truck for Goodwill, and had worked in the post office. He did whatever he could to pay his bills and to put himself through school. His ultimate plan after finishing college was to perhaps work in the world of computers, which were still in their infancy in 1974. But that's when all of Sam's dreams and goals came to an end. On Thursday, June 12, 1974, Sam was working his first day on the new job when he picked up a passenger. At around 8.30 p.m., that passenger robbed Sam of $6 and then shot him in the head three times. The man dragged Sam out of the cab and left him in a gutter at 303 East 169th Street. The man jumped into Sam's cab and drove off, leaving Sam to die in a gutter. But the shooter only made it about three blocks before crashing into a motorhome at Billings Drive and 169th Street. During his hasty escape, he left the gun on the front seat of the taxicab. something that would be part of his undoing. Witnesses described the shooter as a black male around 18 years old, 6'2 and 180 pounds. While police worked the scene, Sam was transported to Harbor General Hospital in critical condition. His family was notified of the shooting and ran to the hospital. And unfortunately for his family, there was nothing the hospital staff could do. Sam was brain dead. In the days after the shooting, sheriff deputies arrested 19-year-old Daryl Burnett for the attack on Sam. It turned out that he was looking for money because he had a pregnant girlfriend, and that's why he robbed Sam. What's unclear is why Burnett shot Sam instead of just running away. All for $6. At 7 a.m. on June 15, 1974, Samuel Charles Evans passed away at Harbor General Hospital. He was buried in Roosevelt Memorial Park in Gardena, California. His family was devastated, and the world had lost a witty, good-natured person who might have had a bright future ahead of him and contributed something to the world. Following Sam's death, the charges were elevated to murder against his shooter, While Sam's family waited the legal process to come, they went on with the sad duties of taking care of Sam's affairs. The owner of Crescent Cab Company did everything he could for the Evans family, including trying to get the life insurance money that employees of the cab company received. But unfortunately, one of the stipulations by the insurance company was that employees had to work there a minimum of three days to qualify for the funds, and Sam was killed on his first day there. And more bad news followed. Sam's estranged wife got all of his belongings, plus the mobile home he lived in. She also received around $45,000 in a social security payout, and sold all of Sam's beloved fish. Not the outcome that Sam's family had hoped for. And in a way, it seemed like Sam's memory and the things he cherished were sort of wiped away. Meanwhile, Dale Burnett, facing a strong case against him, waived his right to a trial and took a plea agreement. He agreed to receive a life sentence with the possibility of parole. He's currently incarcerated at Corcoran State Prison. Since being in prison, Burnett, who now goes by the name Ifoma Modito Cambon, has become a writer and organizer. Cambon, a.k.a. Burnett, spent 38 years in solitary confinement. Since he's been in prison, Cambon, a.k.a. Burnett, has been up parole 11 times, most recently in November 2018. But that hearing was waived without reason. Burnett's next parole hearing is scheduled for October 2021. Sam's sister Susie, although finding it challenging, plans to help keep Sam's killer behind bars. She doesn't think that someone that would murder somebody over $6 deserves to be on the street. When Sam was murdered all those years ago, Susie lost her best friend, and it left a void she's never been able to completely fill. Susie joined me to discuss her brother's case and the impact losing Sam had on her life. That conversation is coming up in just a moment. Hey everyone, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Audible, one of my absolute favorite go-tos. What is Audible? Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. With an Audible membership, you can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The Audible app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. You can listen across devices without losing your spot. How cool is that? Every month, Audible members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. A couple favorites in my Audible collection are Chase Darkness With Me and Evil Has a Name, You Know Me and My True Crime. But if you'd like to explore outside of true crime, no worries. Audible's got you covered. They've got thousands of titles available in every genre. And don't think for one second that Audible only offers audiobooks. Far from it. They also have podcasts, guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, and exclusive Audible originals you won't find anywhere else. So start exploring Audible right now. To get started, visit audible.com fam or text fam to 500-500. You won't be disappointed. One more time, visit audible.com fam, F-A-M, or text fam, F-A-M, to 500-500. Our next sponsor is BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You can now get help on your time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Licensed professional counselors are available who are specialized in anger issues, depression, stress, anxiety, and so much more and anything you share is confidential. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. There are 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists all across the United States, and BetterHelp is available worldwide. Start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is available on desktop, mobile web, Android, and iOS apps. BetterHelp isn't a crisis line, but it is secure, convenient, and professional, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. If you're a regular listener of this show, then you know that sometimes we all have a lot to deal with, and BetterHelp can help you through some of those times. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. The Murder of My Family listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code FAMILY. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com family. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Once again... Go to BetterHelp.com and use the discount code FAMILY to get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Hi, Susie, and thanks for joining me to discuss your brother's case with us today.
2: Uh, hello, it's, uh, it's good to be on your show.
1: Your brother Sam's murder was really a senseless one. Uh, in 1974, he was robbed in the cab he drove and shot in the head multiple times all for a matter of six dollars um yes how, how frustrating has that been for you to know that your brother's life was cut short and you missed all these years together with him over something that was so petty
2: it was um very much so it really devastated the family um the um um uh, you know, looking back at it now, um, I I think he was killed because he only had six dollars on him. Uh, he had just started his uh, this job uh, as a taxi driver, and um, so I think he was killed for only six dollars uh, because he only had six dollars. He had just started the evening, um, and uh, I think the uh, the man that killed him went into a rage because he only had six dollars. Um, we had. I was living at home at the time. I was 21, and uh, we were woke up uh, at about midnight by the phone ringing, and my mother answering the phone, and she was on the phone for oh, probably less than a minute. And uh, I remember her saying, "Sam's been shot," and uh, my parents ran to the, uh, got in the car, and ran all the way down to uh, the hospital, and I was at home alone. And then, then we got a phone call um, another phone call, uh, maybe an hour later. And of course I was still awake and, uh, uh, and it was a detective from the homicide division, even though my brother was still alive in the hospital. Um, the homicide division was still, was taking over. Um, I personally, I was in shock for a very long time over it. Um, the, uh, my parents, um, the whole, it affected the entire family. He was the eldest son. There was my, uh, him and myself, and then I have a younger sister, and we were all very heavily affected by it.
1: Let's, uh, pause for a second. Fortunately, that the person of this would be caught, and we're going to talk a l- little bit about that. Um, but if we could just back up for a second, you were 21, if I'm not mistaken, your brother was 25. How close were the two of you?
2: Uh, we were, we were very close. Um, especially up until you know I would say the last 6 months of his uh death we were actually uh, best friends too. Uh we had just started getting to know each other as young adults. He was he was married, he got he became separated and um going to, and going through a divorce. So we started hanging out together. Um so and we were we have very similar personalities and and likes and dislikes in life. So we were. So at the time of his death, I, I also lost my, lost my best friend.
1: And, and what kind of person was he? What kind of things was he into? Uh,
2: well, he, first of all, he was very intelligent. Um, he went was going to college. He was going to Harvard College, and he was on the dean's list. Uh, he liked everything science. He loved anything related to science, um, including. The early days of like computer science before I think it was called computer science. Um, uh, biology, geology. We went out on fossil things together. Um, but in particular, his, uh, what he really loved was, um, fish. He was into ichthyology and he had, he actually had numerous fish tanks. He had one room that was filled with fish tanks with fish in them and he could tell you anything about fish. Um, it was, it was kind of funny. It's, um, uh, we, he, we went to concerts together. Um, we, uh, you know, cause we both liked the rock and roll music and, and, uh, uh, we, and then we'd go out and we would go out and eat and so on. Um, going back to the fish thing, what was really funny is he, um, one time I remember him, uh, uh, ordering a pizza, uh, with anchovies on it. And uh, I don't think he liked anchovies. Uh, I think he just, uh, I think he just wanted fish on the pizza
1: because <laughs> he was he was that much into fish.
2: <laughs> yeah, yes, that much into fish. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah. He had a great sense of humor too. He had a fantastic, real sharp wit to him too. Um, I remember one time we were somewhere and um, there was a man that we didn't know. The guy was uh, he kind of like sort of did this weird thing with his fist and he goes, and he was like, he, he went over to my brother and he goes, it's like, you know, I could kill you with this finger and stuff. I could kill you with this finger. And he goes, he goes, well, I'll have to remember that next time. I'm in a knife fight. <laughs> 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 it
1: sounds, like, sounds like he had a, a, a funny sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it sounds like he's um, he went through a divorce, but he's going to school. He's got this. He's living on his own. He's got this job, um, making some money. Um, what did he? What did he ultimately want to do with his life? Uh,
2: he was interested in so many things. Science. It's like he was. I think he's working towards some kind of science degree at the time. Um, but you know, he was like um, because he was 25 and still like in school. He, I think he was trying to figure it out still. Um, what he wanted to land on. I, I'm sure it was probably going to be ichthyology of some type, but um, uh, I, and I think that's kind of what he was headed for with that.
1: And it's, it's too bad he couldn't have uh, lived because he would probably would have enjoyed the 80s with all the breaking technology and science and stuff like that. That would have probably been something that really interested him.
2: Yeah, it would. Have, yeah, with um, computers and so on, that would have absolutely fascinated him because, like I said, he was really into the early. We were both kind of in early days of uh, computer science, so um, I think he would have stuck with the fish thing, but um, that would have uh, probably be uh, also in the background there too.
3: Yeah.
1: So he takes his job as a cab driver. Was that his only job at the time? Was he working like a couple ones, or was that the the only job he was working at the time?
2: Well, I think he was always looking for different types of work, you know, to get himself through school and pay his bills. Um, he had inherited, he was living in a mobile home, a nice mobile home that he inherited from uh, our grandmother. His his jobs were, he had, uh, well, he was a taxi driver, but he also worked for Goodwill. As a truck driver, and he would uh pick up items and so on, he was also in the a mail carrier at one time he i think he got fired from being a mail carrier because a dog tried to attack him and um he he shut the the gate on the on the uh on the door on the uh dog and uh then he got he's the one that got in trouble mm-hmm. uh but he um yeah, and then uh, he was taxi driver actually twice. Had done it before, and then he was just had just gone back to it. I guess he was like, "Well, I have to find something, you know, so I'll do this again."
1: So the taxi job was something he knew that he could do pretty easily and had done it before.
2: Yeah, yes, yeah. Back in those days, it was a little more. It was more dangerous than it is now. It's like I don't think it's because of technology and so on. Um, it's harder. To get away with doing something, you know, to somebody. Security Security
1: cameras, things like that, yeah. Had your brother, the first time he was a cab driver, he ever complained about being robbed or threatened or anything like that?
2: Uh, No, I don't remember exactly how long he drove a taxi the first time, but no, he never said anything, had any problems uh, at all with uh, being a taxi driver. So
1: in, in 1974, June, he just starts out this, this job. He yeah. starts, starts his shift around eight 30. And one of his first couple fares um, he picks up is, uh, a man that robs him and, and shoots them in the head, uh, and, and drops your brother's body on the ground and, and takes off. Yes. He leaves your brother there essentially to die. Uh, but he is, what, he crashes this vehicle, if I'm not mistaken, and, and flees on foot.
2: Yes, that's correct. Uh, crashed, he he t- took the vehicle, and he drove it about three blocks when he crashed it into, I think it was a uh, motorhome of some kind. And, and then he got, and he fled on foot, and apparently at least one person saw him flee uh, the scene, and he did leave the gun on the front seat of the car, of the taxi.
1: Yeah, so he's he's not a a master criminal by any stretch. Um, and no. mean, Meanwhile, your family gets this call that no family wants to get, saying that um, no. your your brother's been shot.
2: Yeah, apparently the detectives, um, who was ever was working the case initially, that he they had problems finding us, finding the family, um, uh, locating us. It's like it's not as easy, you know back then as it, as it is today to to locate a family member, yeah um, and that's why was, we didn't get the phone call until around midnight,
1: yeah, because essentially now they can open up someone 's phone and just look at some numbers on there and, and pick someone out and call yeah. them yeah um, yeah so you he's taken to the hospital he's he's not dead on the scene, but he's taken to the hospital, but he's in very bad shape in fact he's he was brain dead and he winds up passing away three days later on the fifteenth. How hard was that? That few days for for your for your family.
2: It was it was like uh, living in a nightmare. Um, The um, uh, the uh, we went from uh, you know it's like being okay and everything, and then you know then we were like in this horrible trauma period. And um, my mother was hoping and praying he was going to live, but you know at a certain point, you know I think it was probably the following morning we knew he wasn't going to make it. Um, and it was just a, a waiting game. Um, you know, it did, didn't help much that, uh, the hospital, you know, the doctors were asking for organ donations either, you know, so, um, and I understand organ donations, but, you know, it was, you know, it was, uh, we were still in shock over the whole thing. Yeah.
1: And you, you probably almost take that as vultures just waiting for for him to pass away, and even though they they mean good, obviously, but um, that's not something your family wants to hear as as he's later dying.
2: Um, Yeah, yeah. I I actually never saw him. Um, We went down. I distinctly remember going down in the car to the hospital, and I didn't want to see him Um, because I knew he wasn't going to make it, and I didn't want to see him like that. And my parents went in. My parents went in because, um, and I'm uh, looking back at it, I'm glad I didn't go and see him because I didn't want that to be my last memory of him.
1: Yeah, that's understandable. And that must have been very, very tough on your parents.
2: Yes, very, very tough on them. Um, uh, I know my my mother, uh, you know, like just a few, my mother's still alive. She's 90 years old. And uh, I remember a few years ago, I said he said that uh, that time period really tore her up.
1: Your your brother passes away; um, he's laid to rest. During that time, though, it's it's only a couple of days after he shot that they catch and identify this nineteen year old shooter named Daryl Burnett. Um, was that news of an arrest any kind of uh, did that help in any way, or, or were you just too too upset and too numb from from losing your brother to really? <laughs> Pay attention to that.
2: Um, I think we were too. We were still too much in. You know, we were glad that they caught him, but it was like we were so wrapped up in the shock of it all that it didn't really, it didn't really uh, register that much with that, with us. Um, I know he was arrested on Friday the fourteenth, um, and um, um, and I we didn't go to any of the hearings and so on. Actually, our um, my. My brother's father-in-law stepped up to the plate and went to the hearings and so on to, um, uh, you know, to uh, catch up and find out what was going what was going on.
1: Uh, because it was just going to be too tough on on you all to to go there.
2: Yeah. Yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's why he did that. I'm sure that's why he did it.
1: So he he was convicted. Um, what was his his sentence initially? It, he
2: yeah he got he got a life sentence. Um, uh, there was no trial, you know, apparently he just went ahead and, and pleaded guilty. I don't know the details of it. Maybe they took the death penalty off the, off the table and he pled guilty to a life sentence with, with the possibility of parole.
1: So during the, the this time, since he's been in prison, he's been up for parole 11 times. Um, I, I know you initially, the survivors Rights uh, back in 2015, um, you were worried. I guess you didn't want to give this guy any more attention than you needed. But then all of a sudden, you became worried that maybe he had been released, and that that's something that would be bad news if you reached out to them and found out he was on the street someplace.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I wanted to find out, but I didn't want to find out. I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to know. I was concerned that he might. They may have already let him go, and I was actually quite pleased when I found out that he was still in prison, and I remember the woman I initially talked to said something like, she looked up his information, and she goes, it's like, oh, yeah, he's going to be here for a while. That was that was her reaction to it. Um, so, and uh, he had been deemed, um, he was initially in Pelican State up in the Bay Area, and which is a... I think they call it a maximum security prison. And he was in, um, he ended up being in solitary confinement for like at least 35 years. And because oh. he was deemed a, he was so apparently violent that uh, they were afraid, you know, they, they kept him locked up like that because of uh, fear of like him attacking guards or the other prisoners.
1: Wow. And That's then,
2: fun. Yeah.
1: Sounds like a a really bad guy, and it's a good thing he was off the streets for for all that time.
2: Yeah, yeah, I thank God that he's like, cause, you know, it's like he, he probably would have uh, harmed or killed uh, someone else. I'm I'm absolutely certain of it. Um, and uh, he he um, he he is now at uh, Corcoran State Prison. Um, he got transferred there. I want to say within the last five years, he got transferred to Corcoran State Prison, and so that's where he's where he's at now. And he's, um, the last parole hearing was supposed to be, let's see, it was supposed to be, uh, last, um, let's see, it was 2020. Uh, it's like, I want to say it was 2018. It was supposed to be in the fall of 2018. And they apparently, um, the uh he both he and his attorney i guess decided for whatever reason i wasn't you know told the reason we didn't we didn't know the reason they decided to skip that parole hearing and it could have been anything from they weren't quite ready for it um maybe he had done something uh we don't we just don't know uh so he's, he actually skipped that parole hearing and so the next one is not going to is going to be in the fall of uh, 2021 probably october
1: uh, has has he during this time do you know if he's shown any kind of uh remorse or anything for what he did
2: uh as far as I know he's shown absolutely no remorse at all as a matter of fact you know i started got he I, I got very curious so I started looking googling his name um fortunately, he spelled his first name in an odd way, so I was you know the you know anybody else with the same you know same name, but spelled the normal way. Um, it's like, I, I could easily find what he, you know, did. So anyway, there was, I believe I found three articles. Um, and uh, the articles were uh, about him and his life at like, uh in prison and um, how they were mean to him and, um, uh, you know, that type of thing. And uh, there's no mention of the, uh, the, what he did the murder that he committed there's nothing you know the word murder is not in there at all and there's uh, obviously since there's no no uh, mention of it there's also been no there's no remorse there's no statement of like he's sorry for what he did
1: is, is that um have you have you ever had any interest in maybe uh talking to him to see if 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 he would in person show any remorse um
2: not really I, it, it's um i i don't know that i'm really interested in it i know that i will i will you know do everything i can humanly possible to go to the next parole hearing i was supposed to go to the last one um but when he's up for a parole i will go and uh if nothing else i want to i want to see see him and um i do want to give a statement because I don't think he should be out anytime soon. They can let him out when he's like ninety years old, you know, and when he can't hurt anybody. Yeah. Actually, I think in some way, in some ways, that's to me that's justice. Because um, if you let if he's still alive at ninety, you let him out. He can go and look back on how he wasted his entire life in prison for doing something very stupid and evil.
1: That's very good. Very good point. Um, yeah. and and a tough sort of leads me to the next question uh and it might be a tough one, but have you forgiven him after all these years? Uh,
2: no uh, no it's like uh, there's things in life you know that i i you know I never really understand why you know somebody gets killed in a family and they no sooner does somebody get killed like a week later they've been forgiven by the family i I don't understand that at all there's some things in life that are just absolutely unforgivable this is this is one of them, um so I will never forgive him you know um never
1: and he took your your brother and your best friend from you, and it sounds like it's still very very uh like it happened just yesterday for you
2: yeah it is it's um god it's been uh forty five years um and uh, all these years yeah yeah, it's like it's still um it's still quite fresh sometimes.
1: Yeah, and and what what are some of the things that you feel that you missed out on with your brother all these years that you would have liked to have had? Um, you know, it's like I,
2: I sometimes wonder what that would have been like if he had, uh, co- you know, continued living and had a normal life. Um, I think, um, I know my life would be different. His life, Of course, he would be still alive, he'd have a full life, and then, and, you know, and, and then uh, my life probably would have been very different, too. It's the, the thing is, is I have no idea in what way. I'm sure it would, be, would have been a much better life than what uh, I've had um, and uh, what his life would have been like. Um, I think he would have, you know, eventually gotten a degree and uh, been working in some kind of scientific field. Um, and he probably would have gotten remarried and had kids. Um, and we would have a bigger family. Um, but... That's um, you know, I don't really think about it too much, um, because it's just like it's a what if, and I have no idea, I really have no idea what uh, life would have been like. It would have been better.
1: Yeah, and I, I think in all these cases that I talk about on the show, there's there's a ripple effect when, you know, one person's murdered. That that murder affects everyone else connected to him yeah. or hers, uh, life, um, and changes it forever, um, changes the course of it. Uh, you know, so looking back, especially in a case that's an older case like this, you know, f- what is it, 46 years? Um, yeah, going on 46 it, years now. Yeah. Just changing the the direction of, of family members' lives for four decades is just... Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, you're, and you're, you mentioned your mom is still alive at, at 90 years old. She's had to live without her son you know, all these decades, which is unimaginable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so she's been comforted by the fact that she, um, she's, uh, quite religious. So, um, I, that's been a comfort for her. Um, and, uh, uh, even so it's, it's just been, um, it's been tough. Like I said, it's been tough on the family for all these years.
1: What advice do you, would you have for someone maybe that's, that's lost someone and has been dealing with it for all of these years the way that your family has is there any kind of advice you can offer based on your experiences
2: um the, the only thing I can t- say is just keep moving forward you know um I try and li- I try and live my life like um like he's still around sometimes you know so um to try and uh um, live life like he would uh, live life like he would like me you know like me seemingly living life and um yeah and you remember the good, try to remember the good times all the good times
1: and, and maybe focus on on the, the the happy memories that you have the experiences you had yeah. together and not the negative yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. try to remember all the happy times that yeah um and just try and focus on that as much as possible
1: and and just one last question what what do you think your your brother's legacy is or, or should be if you had to sum, um, sum it up
2: uh, legacy is um uh i would say it's like um uh, live life with a sense of humor um and uh enjoy life and uh keep keep going you know it's like um uh, to seize the day you know if i had to he he would want to, he would want me and anybody else you know that's going through something like this to disease today and do everything they can to have a good positive life
1: and it's it seems like uh, you know this case and your experience is proof that just because a case may be decades old that the the, the yeah. pain um, is still real it still exists um, and you still you still re- remember that clearly yeah um, and I think no matter what age someone is when they're killed or pass away, you know, that family still thinks of them years later. Um, yeah. And, and again, we, we hear different cases, um, you know, some are happened yesterday. Some of them happened, you know, 50 years ago, but I think to each person that's going through that experience, it's, it's unique for themselves. Um, and I appreciate you coming on and discussing your experience uh, and your brother, um, Sam, uh, as well, and letting us get to know him a little bit, too.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having this podcast. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you once again for joining me for this episode of The Murder, My Family. Thanks goes out to Debbie Buck at TrueCrimeDiva.com for writing and research assistance in this episode. As we wrap up, I'd like to play for anyone that missed it a preview of my brand-new True Crime podcast that I just launched called Missing Persons. I'm really excited about it. New episodes are coming out in March. The format will be very similar to The Murder of My Family. And you'll get new episodes every other Saturday. So I hope you'll check it out. And before you go, remember that every murder victim means something to somebody. It's estimated that at any given time, there are 90,000 missing persons. And that's just in the United States. Imagine if your loved one went missing. Is there anything that you wouldn't do to try and find them? Would you cross oceans? Spend your life savings? Continually retrace your last known steps, just hoping something jumped out at you. This is Missing Persons, a brand new podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Morford. If you're a true crime podcast fan, you might recognize me from some of my other podcasts, including Criminology, Three Men in a Mystery, and The Murder of My Family. The most important part of hosting a podcast for me is advocating for the cases and the victims I discuss, as well as their families. I've been approached by so many people with a missing loved one asking me if I could help them in any way. And if it was my loved one that was missing, I'd want someone to help me too. So I couldn't say now. And this podcast, Missing Persons, is the result of me wanting to help. In every episode of Missing Persons, you'll hear about a person who disappeared and currently remains missing. In some cases, there are clues to follow and leads to check-on. In other cases, it's as if the person just vanished off the face of the earth. And in each episode, you'll hear from someone who's searching for that missing person. And whether they've been looking for 30 days or 30 years, the pain of not knowing what happened to their loved one is real. And the search for answers, a painful one. Here's a small preview of what you'll hear coming up on Missing Persons.
4: You know, her mom didn't think too much about it. I think they exchanged some texts and, and maybe some calls during the day on May 1st and then May 2nd. The early morning hours of May 2nd, I think Patty woke up and I think that she realized, you know, wow, something something's not right. She hasn't come home. She was supposed to come home. She was always a, a, a good girl. I mean, she'd do anything for, for anybody and I think she just trusted the wrong people. I think that she honestly thought these people were her friends, you know, quote her friends and I just think that she totally just didn't know what what she was getting into, becoming friends with any of them and going in that area. It shows that, that her phone pings in the area, you know, like from a tower. It doesn't show you specifically what address they were at, but with the police questioning people, they were able to get, um, you know, where she had been that night. The trap houses are usually empty during the day. You know so we were able to you know during the daylight hours we've been able to search the areas um, go inside the trap houses and search those we haven't had any problems getting in there and searching those areas either so we've uh we've 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 been alright you know going into the areas at nighttime we wouldn't want to do it at nighttime we haven't you know really done too much at night just because of the area that it's in On, you know, gosh, I hope she is alive, but gosh, I hope she, you know, isn't in sex trafficking. I I don't know. I I don't know which would be the lesser of the two evils. It's all evil. It's just completely evil. The whole situation is evil. The people that help with her case, we refuse to let her name be forgotten. I mean, we have pushed and pushed and pushed and, you know, tried to get her name and keep her name out there. Um, for everybody. We, we want her home. I mean, that's the bottom line, and we're not going to stop searching for her or stop doing anything until we have her. The early
0: Saturday morning was the last time we saw him, but he was supposed to come over here Sunday, you know, that day for Mother's Day, and uh, never showed up. It just, that was it. I mean, he never we've never seen him again after that. And when uh, Monday morning came around, I thought for sure he was going to come back. He was out with some friends or something like went to the lake or something like that and and he didn't show up to go to work Monday morning I knew something was definitely wrong that's when we called the police to do a missing person
4: report we really honestly did not think we'd be sitting here going on 23 years still wondering you know what happened to him
0: Uh, we'd go out and search and look and all that and thinking I was going to find him somewhere and oh man there's the things that, that you go through your mind and your thoughts and all that, it hasn't gotten easier as to where my son is and what happened to him, because I'm thinking about it all the time. I want to know where he's at. And when you have children, one of them come up missing like, like my son did, and you want to know where they're at and what happened to him, and you'll do just about anything to find out.
3: By the end of May, I was getting a bit frantic, because so I was calling everyone in Canada, you know, had anyone heard from him? Oh, I was in absolute panic, you know, because I just couldn't understand what was the matter. Day, you know, panicking, what to do, and has anybody seen him, anybody heard from him? Began to realise that they weren't going to help me. So we started to make arrangements for me to go to Canada and search for him myself. We received a phone call later in the day that I had to go downtown and identify his belongings. It is a belief of this detachment that your son is dead... We may never find his body or what happened to him. In dismay, I looked at him and I said, how can you say this? I've been begging, begging you to look for my son for a year. Yeah, we're financially ruined. Um, We lost our home long ago. But this happens with most families with missing children, you know, or missing loved one. They, For the love of a child, you can't stop.
1: Missing Persons officially launches in March 2020. Will you join me and become part of the search for answers in these cases? If so, search for and subscribe to Missing Persons right now, wherever you listen to podcasts, so you don't miss an episode.